I want you to think about one of the worst things that you've ever done. Or think about some of the most hurtful things that you've ever said. Or think about the darkest thoughts that you've ever considered. Maybe you pushed or you slapped or you even punched a family member. Maybe you said some things that kind of ripped the heart out of somebody that you're supposed to love. Stop being such a baby. Or you're a disappointment. Or why couldn't you be more like... Maybe you wished that something terrible would happen to somebody that hurt you. Maybe a decision you made cost someone a relationship or maybe cost them a job. Maybe you cheated a friend out of some money or a commission. Or maybe you committed adultery. You cheated on your spouse. So think about your dark side. Do you have something in mind? I mean, really, really. Identify something that's so dark, so despicable, so depraved, you just don't want anybody to know about it. So lock in on at least one ugly thought, a word, or deed. Now here's the question. What do you do with that guilt? How do you handle it? I mean, too often we just kind of like, you know, just try to forget it. Just act like it never really happened. Or we try to dull the guilt with food or shopping or relationship or binging on some Netflix series. Or maybe we just blame somebody else for the wrong that we did. But, but you know, just like I do, none of that really works. But God presents the most amazing offer ever. So that we can literally offload our guilt. And it's the gospel of grace. It's amazing grace. It's the essential gospel. Amazing grace. I, I just have to admit, sometimes I'm not that amazed by grace. True confessions from a pastor. I mean, I talk about it. I get paid to talk about it. And I try to help you experience it and be amazed by it. But sometimes it just doesn't move me like maybe it once did. And here's the deal. If we don't slow down and remember the awful things that we've thought, said, and done, then we're not going to be amazed by grace. So I want us to do a little self-assessment today. I put three statements on the screen. I want to give yourself a score on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being high. First statement, I regularly, that's an important word here, I regularly remind myself that I was once spiritually dead and disobedient to God. Give yourself a score. 
Second statement, I often, that's the operative word, I often reflect on how amazing it is that God has given me the gift of His grace and love. On a scale of 1 to 10, the third one, the fact that I have been saved by grace through faith doesn't make me want to work less for God, but more and more. So where'd you score highest? Where'd you score lowest? Are you really amazed by grace? God, this room is filled with people that have already received the grace of God. But Lord, we have to admit, we're not as amazed as we could be and should be. So as we work our way through Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, increase our amazement today, Lord. And may we love you more and serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So open your Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 10. We're looking at verses 1 through 10. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. We're grateful that you're with us today. So we're going to learn three things that our lives are like apart from Christ. And here's the first one. Apart from Christ, we are dead. We're dead. Now, dead here, of course, means spiritually dead. We, were, we are alive physically, but you could be dead spiritually. Dead men walking, dead women walking, dead teenagers and boys and girls walking. Look at verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you know what? Watching online, here in the room, that could be describing you today. Alive, physically, at church, kind of even enjoying some of these songs, thinking, well, maybe this message is not going to be too bad, but dead. It means unable to spiritually respond to God and to truth. And it means that you could do nothing to please God. Think about it. A corpse at a funeral home, doesn't hear the conversations that are happening. A body laid out in a funeral home doesn't have an appetite. So everybody who's apart from Christ is dead. This is what it means. You you can't really hear God. Reading the Bible doesn't really make much sense. It's why some of us are just not interested in the Bible. And when you read it, it's like reading somebody else's mail. And you just don't have an appetite for the things of God. Why? You're spiritually dead. Now, everybody apart from Christ is dead. The only difference between one spiritually dead person and another spiritually dead person is the state of decay. I mean, think about it. A drug-using drug pusher might be extremely decayed outwardly, maybe more so than some family member that you have who doesn't really know Christ. Not everybody is at the same level of decay. 20 dead bodies all be dead, but varying states of decay, and that's the way it is with us. The idea here is that the whole world is a vast graveyard filled with dead people. Dead while they live. 
So apart from Christ, you're not just flawed. You're not just sick. You're dead. The ESV Gospel Transformation Bible says this, We were not strugglers in need of a helping hand or sinking swimmers in need of a raft. We were stone cold dead. Spiritually lifeless without a religious pulse, without anything to please God. And maybe this explains what's going on haywire in your life. Are people in your family, people in your social network, spiritually dead? I mean, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised at what they think, say, and do. Maybe we should expect them to act like they're spiritually dead. And maybe we got to be praying more for them to get spiritual life. Dane Ortland wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. He writes this, Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. Apart from Christ, we're dead. Second, we're disobedient. Disobedient. Now, perhaps you've kind of explored Christianity, and you're like going, I'm not sure I really want to be a follower of Jesus, because... I want to do what I want to do. I want freedom to express myself. I want to do what I want to do. Did you ever consider maybe you're not really doing what you want to do, but you're doing what somebody else is convincing you to do? Verse 2 here tells us that we're disobedient to God because we're following the whims of the world. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of the world. And so what this means is you're actually conforming to what the world says is right and wrong, or what your friends say is right or wrong, or what your mom and dad say is what's right and wrong, not what God thinks. It's being caught up in worldly pleasures, and it's disobeying God. There's more disobeying the enemy of God. Again in verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the idea here is you're actually following the devil. Now this doesn't mean that the devil himself is always personally at work in the life of every believer on the planet. I mean, you know, I think there are other people that the devil wants to temptate than just little Rick Duncan. However, he's the leader of other fallen angels who have demonic influence. And in that sense, he influences me. And the devil influences these world systems that we can get caught up in. And that will lead people to disobey God. And it says, Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So the world influences us, the devil influences us, and our own flesh influences us. This is referring to that fallen nature that we're all born with, that resides within us, that controls the body and mind, and causes us to disobey God. So the person that says, well, I just want to run my own life. No, you're not running your own life, not apart from Christ. 
Because you're controlled by the world and the flesh and the devil. The three classic enemies of God. Now, some of us in the room and we're going, whew, boy, I'm glad that's not, that's not me. <laughs> that's not describing me because I'm, 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 I'm pretty good. I'm good. Well, if you think you're good to go just because you were raised in church and just because your mom and dad taught you right from wrong and just because you've basically been a good little boy or girl and you're better than the guy down the street or the guy in the next cubicle, then your heart is filled with pride. And you're patting yourself on the back. And you're thinking you're better than your neighbor. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are right now keeping you from obeying God from your heart and from giving him glory. Again, Dane Orland writes this. We can vent our fleshly passions by breaking all the rules, or we can vent our fleshly passions by keeping all the rules. But both ways of venting the flesh still need resurrection. We can be immoral dead people or we can be moral dead people. Either way, we're dead and disobedient. Listen, the best human goodness is the worst human badness if that goodness is employed to keep us from embracing the gospel. Apart from Christ, we're dead, we're disobedient, and we're doomed. Doomed. Last part of verse 3 says, And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Nobody in this room is better than the other people on this planet. I'm not better. Neither are you. I mean, hey, you hate the people on the far right. You hate the people on the far left. Guess what? You're just as bad as the people you hate. I didn't say this. Look at the verse. We are all like the rest of mankind. That makes us by nature children of wrath. Hell is coming. Damnation is on the way. And I know this is not fun to hear. It's not fun to talk about. But if your house is on fire and nobody tells you about it, then you don't have very good neighbors. So God's word is warning us here. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The idea is that God's wrath is coming against sin. The Bible says God hates sin. Why? Because it hurts people. Those shameful things that you don't want anybody to know about, even if done in secret, you don't know the after effects. They really cause harm to you and they cause harm to others. The things you've thought, said, and done have hurt other people. Sin violates love and justice. And that's why God's angry with sin. God judges sin because God loves people. Now, some people don't like to think of God as a God of wrath. Like, my God is a God of love. Well, He is a God of love, but because He's a God of love, He 
exercises his wrath. If God is a good God, then his wrath must come against anyone or anything that violates love and justice. So this is why the sons of disobedience here in the text are called the children of wrath. And it's why we're doomed. And maybe that's you today in this room. Maybe that's you watching online. Apart from Christ. Dead, disobedient, and doomed. We're helpless and hopeless. But the next two words in our passage today changes everything. You see the next two words? It starts verse 4. But God. Dead, doomed, disobedient, but God. Now, if this was an African-American church, I'd have a couple of amens. (laughs) But God, people. (laughs) But God. Chad sent me the notes from the ESV Gospel Transformation Bible. Listen to this. We were prodigal, scoundrels, vile, impure, unholy, treacherous, lecherous, self-absorbed, self-exalting, out-and-out rebels. Can you refer to yourself that way? That's the truth about all you good church-going people. And it's the truth about the guy that's preaching to you, too. But God, there's bad news, then there's good news. But God, we were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. But God loves the loveless. But God gives the life to the lifeless. But God is merciful to those deserving no mercy. But God, but God, this is awesome. (laughs) But God, but God what? But God what? I want to give you four big ideas here. But God loved us. And not just a little bit. I mean, if God loved us just a little bit, we'd still be hopeless. Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. I want us to consider two concepts here. Rich mercy and great love. God doesn't just demonstrate a little bit of mercy to us. He's rich in mercy. Now, what's mercy? Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. What do we deserve? Wrath. And think about this. God's not a miser with his mercy. Again, Dane Ordland, God is a fountain of mercy. He's a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals as, that we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to go greater, not less. Like when God gives out his mercy, he's not like impoverishing himself because he's infinite in his mercy. But not only does God have rich mercy, God has great love. Great love. And what's that mean? Well, if I'm babysitting, watching your kids and your kid disobeys me, I'm probably only going to be able to handle it for so long. And I'm pretty quickly going to say, hey, bro, it's your turn now. (laughs) I'm out. But if my grandsons disobey me, then my patience might get stretched, but it's not going to snap, not fully, not finally. Why? Great love. I have great love for them. 
And God has a great love for you. And it makes my grandfatherly love look like this, nothing. Because his great love is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So I want us to stop right now and I want us to pray. And so here's the prayer. (laughs) Thank you, God, for your rich mercy and great love toward me, even when I, and you fill in the blank for yourself. All right? Quietly, silently, in your heart, bow your head, close your eyes. Thank you, God, for your rich mercy and great love toward me, even when I Thank you, God, for your rich mercy and great love. Even when we do those big, unthinkable, shameful things. Amen. We were disobedient, but God loved us. We were dead, but God raised us. See, we don't need resuscitation we need resurrection i remember verse one apart from christ we're dead in our trespasses and sins a dead body can't respond i mean it is pointless to go into a funeral home and a shout to a corpse hey i know you're in bad shape but just pull yourself together and you're going to be all right And making an appeal to a spiritually dead person won't work. Hey, you know what? You just need to try a little bit harder to be a good wife who respects her husband. Hey, you know what? You should just try a little harder to stop watching porn. Hey, you know what? You just need to try harder to cut out the road rage. You need to do more to stop cussing. That won't work. No preaching, no spiritual motivation, no psychological technique, and no positive thinking, no do-it-yourself scheme is going to work. So what can help? Last part of verse 5. God made us alive together in Christ. By grace you've been saved. We'll come back to that. And God raised us up with Christ. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Listen, you can't behave the way a follower of Christ is supposed to behave in your home, at the office, without a resurrection, without divine help. And only God's power in Christ can raise us from the dead. So what does new life in Christ look like? I want us to brainstorm here today a little bit. How do you know if somebody is spiritually alive? And you can't say, well, they came to church even if it snowed outside. Because there's a lot of people that go to church and they're not spiritually alive. And you can't say, well, it's people that pray. Because there's a lot of Muslims in the world that don't have life in Christ and they're praying three times a day. What is it that makes us know that we have new life in Christ? So, so brainstorm, talk to me. Talk loud and distinctly through your mask so we can type it down up here. What makes you know that you're alive in Christ? I know I'm alive in Christ when what? When I'm trusting Him. Especially when life isn't working well. When I'm trusting Him. Faith. What else? 
Peace in the storm. Peace when there's pain. Prayers. Answered prayers in the name of Christ. What else? When I get excited about His Word. See, there's a lot of people that this book, it's, it's boring. It's old news. Ancient history. I'm not drawn to it. But something happens when you get new life in Christ. I want to know what God says. A love for the Word of God. What else? How about this? A love for God's people. And that means all God's people. If you're on the left, that means you love the people on the right. If you're on the right, that means you love the people on the left. Really love them. How about this? A hatred of sin. I hate sin. Breaks my heart, breaks God's heart. I hate it. How about a desire to serve God's mission? I want to see other people come to know this God too. And we've got, by the way, the fruit of new life right here in this room. <laughs> you could have just looked around the room and read a few words. Here's my question. Do you have new life in Christ? Look at that list. Does that describe you? And if it doesn't, maybe you need a resurrection. New life in Christ. God specializes in creating this. Why does He do it? That's in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So what God is doing is He is wanting to turn you into a trophy of His grace. So that when people see you, they say, God is awesome. And His grace is amazing. Because that dude should never have been saved. But God saved him. God gave him new life in Christ. This is what some of us need right now, isn't it? Jesus Christ can raise the individuals in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, and in this nation. We, here's what we need in America. We need God to raise spiritually dead people in City Hall and in the State House and on Capitol Hill. And guess what? You know what? My Facebook posts, no matter how passionate I am, are not going to raise a spiritually dead person. And neither will yours. How much time are we spending reading news feeds compared to hitting our knees and asking God to do what He did in the 1750s and the 1850s to bring a revival to our land to raise up spiritually dead people to Christ. We were disobedient, but God loved us. We were dead, but God raised us. And we were doomed, but God saved us. He saved us. So the question is, are you saved? Are the members of your family saved? Are your neighbors saved? I once asked somebody in Brexville, are you saved? Probably not the best question to ask somebody. Cold turkey. And she answered, Safe from what? 
And here's the answer. Safe from being dead, disobedient, and doomed. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't do anything to get grace. You didn't do anything to be saved. You didn't do anything to have faith. It's a gift of God. What's a gift of God? Grace and salvation and faith. It's not a result of works. It's not because you came to church on January the 31st or you're watching online. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Three key words here, grace, saved, and faith. What is grace? Well, we define mercy as not getting what you do deserve. Grace is the other side of the coin. That's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy keeps you out of hell. Grace gets you into heaven. Grace is God's favor shown to utterly undeserving people. We don't deserve forgiveness or heaven. We deserve wrath. But God. God sent the perfect one, Jesus. He came into this world and he suffered the wrath of God on the cross. The wrath that should have come against me. He was doomed instead of me. He took wrath in my place that I should have taken. All those sins you thought about at the very beginning of this message, the ones that shouldn't even be spoken of, grace means you get what you don't deserve. Forgiveness, freedom from guilt, and heaven thrown in. That's grace. And what does grace do? Well, it saves us. We who were doomed to suffer the wrath of God in hell forever have been saved. God is under no obligation to save any of us. And some of you might say, well, you know what? I don't feel so safe. I don't feel saved. My life is filled with pain and hardship, and that may be true. But consider this. If you were shipwrecked and you're in icy water, you would be doomed. But somebody comes by with a lifeboat, and from the moment you're taken out of that icy water and put into the lifeboat, you are saved. You might still be cold. You might still be afraid. It might take a long time before your feet ever touch dry land. But from the moment that you're in the boat, you're saved. And so, yes, we're in this world, and it's cold, and it's icy, and it's difficult, and it's dangerous. And you haven't made it to heaven yet, but you're on the way because you're in the life-saving boat with Jesus Christ. You're not doomed anymore. And how do you get there? Well, you get there by faith. Not by works, but by faith. We're not saved by being good little religious boys and girls. By playing church. We're, we're, we're not saved because our you know, good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. No, the work of salvation has already been completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the things he said was, It is what? It's what? Yeah, it's finished. So nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. And this morning we want you to hear a story about how Jesus loved and raised and saved a man named Jacob. So let's take a look. So this all started with my neighbor. He called me one day and asked if I wanted to help him build a bridge. 
and I agreed, not knowing what we were getting into at all. So I was a heroin addict at the age of 15. I was a very lost person. Um, the age of 18, did two years in prison because of my choices. Um, was never a believer, was atheist. Every day we rode in the car, he explained the good news of Jesus and what Jesus did for us and what Jesus went through on the cross, all the pain and suffering so we can be saved. And I saw how happy he was as a person, just internal happiness. And it was, I was almost jealous about how somebody could be so happy. And what I came to learn is if I could be forgiven from all the bad things I've did, being a heroin addict, being a convicted felon, just being an all-around bad person, Jesus made it possible that anybody can be forgiven. And I thought I was just some sort of forgotten person, you know? I, I, I honestly thought I would never be good enough. Um, and that's where I was wrong, because anybody can be forgiven. I shouldn't be alive today, but I am. Um, I feel like I shouldn't be loved anymore, but I am. Oh. I'm blessed today, like extremely blessed. And my friend showed me that happiness and showed me how to be happy. Um, I want to get baptized because I want to take a step towards obedience to the Lord. I want to proclaim my faith and I want to show everyone, hey, I'm starting a new life. Um, I'm excited to start this new life. Um, I'm excited to, I'm excited for this internal happiness. Um, I'm excited to be a child of the Lord. Wow. <laughs> Don't tell me grace is not amazing. It is amazing. And I want to thank you, CBC, for m helping to make that happen. Thank you for every single dollar you give. I mean, we give so things like that can happen more and more. Right here at Broadview Heights, new campus in Brunswick. God loves us. God raises us. God saves us. And one more, God works us. And what I mean by that is he puts us to work. Look at verse 10, for we are his workmanship. That word is poema. It means we're his poems or his works of art or his masterpieces. Do you think of yourself that way? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. When God was in eternity past, before you were even a glint in your daddy's eye, <laughs> He had stuff for you to do for him, to bring him glory that nobody else on this planet can do. 
That's how much of a masterpiece you are. I know that I don't deserve the kind of love that my wife Marianne has for me. To deserve her love would be impossible. Her love for me is a priceless gift. But in my best moments, I know that I should spend my life trying to be worthy of her love. And that's the way it is with God. You can't earn His love. But I hope that you're going to spend the rest of your life seeking to be worthy of His love. That you're going to do good works for Him out of your great, great love for Him. you got to get the prepositional phrases right in verses 8, 9, and 10. It's by grace, through faith, for works. That's the gospel. But there are churches all around Northeast Ohio that get this flipped. For them, it's by works. Go to church. Do the rules, religion, the rituals, the regulations, the sacraments, and, and mix it up with a little bit of faith. And then you're going to get some grace. That's not the gospel. That's religion. By grace. Through faith. For works. You know, music can help sink and cement the truth into our hearts. And one of our young men, Will Hopkins, wrote a song about this passage called Rich in Mercy. And so let the words and the chords and the melody draw your heart closer today to the one who's rich in mercy.
Maybe you're here, and quite frankly, your family is a mess, and you're a mess. You've been trying to fix it. Tried everything. Promises, recommitments, counseling, church going, nothing's working. Could it be you're dead, disobedient, and doomed? Nothing's going to change unless you have a but God experience. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You, can, you don't have to come forward, bow your head, close your eyes. You can pray it right there, right where you stand, right where you sit. Just, just repeat this in your heart to the Lord. Lord, you overflow with rich mercy. Please be merciful to me. and Make me into your masterpiece. I've been spiritually dead in my trespasses and sins. Please raise me up and give me new life in Christ. I've disobeyed you. Please show your great love for me in spite of my rebellion. And left to myself, I would be doomed, a child of wrath. Nevertheless, show your grace by saving me. Give me the gift of faith in Jesus. And may I do the good works you've created me to do so you may gain great glory from my life. Hey, maybe your heart's beating just a little faster. You're going, you know what, that's, that's for me. I want that. Or maybe you prayed with me. If, if that's you, then text the word Jesus to 440-276-5575. And we don't want the truths of this message to get lost so we've developed a, a prayer that you could pray based on Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And if you'd like that prayer to come to your inbox, then text the word SEEK to this same number. And we'll make sure you get this prayer. You could pray it morning, noon, and night for the next week to lock these truths deep within. Remember we started this message by talking about some shameful thing that you did, that you said, that you thought, that you wish you could forget. Nothing that you've said, thought, or done is going to change the fact that God is rich in mercy towards you. I was wrestling with, like, how do I end this message, you know? And I'm kind of known for being like the next step guy. You know, I'm going to give you a next step that you can do. <laughs> in light of these glorious truths, what should the next step be? Well, maybe there's really no practical next step this week. I mean, think about it. Here we are in Northeast Ohio, January 31. You get up, snow. If a friend said to you, hey, I got a ticket for you and your family to fly to South Florida, and I got a condo with your name on it right there in Naples, 
You'd be crazy to stay here, right? And when you fly down there to the Gulf Coast, nobody would have to tell you what to do. I mean, you would know what to do. I put on my bathing suit, I'm hitting the beach, and I'm going to bask in the sun. And that's what I'm hoping that you'll do this week in light of the essential gospel. Just bask in the warmth and in the health of the sun that comes from the Son of God and His gospel. It's it's not optional for us. It's essential. And it's a gospel. And it's a grace that ought to amaze us. See, God is rich in mercy. So come clean. You can shed the clothes of shame. God is great in love. So come close. You don't have to hide from God. And God is boundless in His grace. So come home. Lord, I thank you for your amazing grace. Help me, Father, as a proclaimer of it, to be more amazed by it. And I pray that that would be true for every single person in this room. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. In Jesus' name. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears released. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion me as long as life endures. grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost but now I'm found was blind but now